Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is The Way We Live Now. Today is day 49, since many of us have zipped a zipper or buttoned a button, and day 11 of this podcast. I looked at my purse today, sitting on the floor of my office where it's been since mid-March. What's that leather thing with straps, I asked myself. The familiar is becoming strange and the strange familiar, which can be the source of tragedy or comedy. I prefer comedy. And so I'm excited to be joined today by the amazing comedian, star, and co-creator of the animated series Big Mouth, Nick Kroll. Nick, welcome to The Way We Live Now. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So one of the more humanizing sort of silver linings, if there is such a thing, of this crazy time that we're living in, is that we're getting to see how we all live. We're getting peeks into each other's homes. So let me begin by asking you, where are you right now? Um, Paint us a picture of your surroundings, what you're looking at. I'm in Los Angeles, California. I am in my my home. I'm on the east side, kind of near Griffith Park. I'm actually sitting outside right now. I'm looking at my garden, grass, all of it overgrown about a week before the pandemic started the gardeners who had been sort of maintaining my backyard said they were no longer going to be doing that work and so i got broken up with by my gardeners which was fine because i am dating uh, my girlfriend is a landscape designer and botanical artist so she was excited to jump in and work on that and then all of a sudden the pandemic happened and it gave us the opportunity to begin to think about what our house looks like inside and out. And she's been working on a number of different elements of uh, the victory gardens, if you remember from like World War II, mm-hmm. where people mm-hmm. started to build their own gardens. And she's working on a new project called Freedom Garden. So she's in the more technical, theoretical aspects of it before she actually gets into 
my uh, garden, which is now very overgrown. And I have to be honest, I kind of like the overgrownness, the driveway. Everything is sort of beginning to grow out in a way that's it feels much more organic. The inside of the house, it's been nice. It's, you know, it's a weird thing. I We both travel a lot normally, uh, and neither of us is usually ever in one place for more than two weeks at a time, let alone both of us together for the last like 40 days. And we have just moved in together in Los Angeles. So we have been kind of nesting and merging our lives in this physical space, which has actually been this really beautiful, you know, experience inside of all this. You know, I'm like, oh, my dishes from the ones that I bought 10 years ago are not quite the ones that maybe I should have now as a, a, you know, 10 years later. It does that, right? Like there's this strange kind of discernment that's happening about like what matters and what doesn't and what feels useful or what feels important or beautiful or whatever it is. As you were talking about your grass, I was thinking that's how people are feeling about their hair, <laughs> right? <Yes. laughs> yeah. Yeah. My hair is growing out and getting weird and curly and my beard is growing in longer than it normally does. And, you know, I think it's it's giving people some allowances to experiment or see what grows. And normally I think we're quite busy keeping, literally keeping up appearances. And it's safer to just keep your hair a certain length because you know it's a, it's acceptable uh, versus letting it kind of grow and uh, people going letting their hair go gray or like, yeah. you know, I have a number of women who are like, I guess I'm just letting my mustache grow in now or <laughs> men allowing, you know, like my beard is getting grayer by the day. And I'm just sort of like, OK, is that is this where I am in my life that I have a, you know, a, a beard that and the the quality of gray beard hair is different than my darker beard hair so it behaves differently inside of on my face so yeah like who, who knew yeah so it's it's kind of it, it it's this it's forcing us i think i would imagine at least it's forcing me to take a a harder look at what my home is how it functions and and a little bit of a harder look at myself of like oh, I'm a little more anal than I thought about how I want like dishes washed. Mm -hmm. And obviously, let alone how people are treating like incoming packages, who's keeping packages outside the house for a couple of days. Is there a quarantine room? And I think couples and partners and family members and roommates have different levels of what they think is acceptable. So it's bringing up a lot of that. It's making us do a lot of self-examination, I think. Yeah, so true. You know, you, you had mentioned that you travel a lot. You were on tour recently, right? You were all over the world. Mm -hmm. Did you come off the tour or or was the tour cut short because of the pandemic or were you finished with it, at least for the time being? I had toured the second half of last year in the States and then at the end of the year went to London and Australia and then came back and was going back to work on my animated show Big Mouth and was largely going to be back in my writer's room, but then was going to go away at least like a weekend a month and continue touring to do 15 or 20 more cities this spring and into summer. And when we finished Big Mouth, I was going to go to Europe and maybe Israel and do a, more shows. I was in the somewhere in the middle of the tour when the pandemic sort of took hold. And so I then had to cancel or suspend mm -hmm. a lot of those dates. So yes, I think somewhere in between. Yeah. It was cut short and put on hold and not sure what will happen now. Was there a moment, like a kind of emblematic moment when 
I think for for a lot of us, there's a, a feeling of like a moment or a day uh, where it hit home that it, this was actually the immensity of this and the life-altering nature of this. I mean, there are, I think, are probably a number of moments for me that have had that effect. I mean, I remember it was a Wednesday. I think it was probably around March 11th-ish mm-hmm. where we were in our writer's room still, but it was all of a sudden that week people had stopped sort of like touching each other. There was a lot of Purell, but we were in a small writer's room and it all of a sudden became clear that people wanted some physical distance from each other. And we, me and my fellow creator EPs decided Wednesday, all of a sudden it just felt different. It just all of a sudden, I think that might've been the day that Tom Hanks Mm -hmm. and Rita Wilson were, you know, so they had, they had gotten sick. And so it all of a sudden just started to change a bit. And then, we had one last day in the room and it was very clear that day that that was going to be our last day. And I believe that was uh, the 12th of March and Friday we began working at home and we immediately went into zoom and we've been writing in a zoom, basically in a writer's zoom or whatever you want to call it, writer's room from that day forward. So in a weird way, we didn't miss a beat in continuing work as usual, as unusual as it was uh, in that we've, continue to work like a regular writer's room. But then just about every week, there's some weird uh, moment that kind of takes hold a little bit. I, I don't read much more news than I need to. I think just for my own mental health and I don't enjoy knowledge too much. Uh, it doesn't bring me comfort. Mm-hmm. And so I figure if something important uh, needs to be told to me, I will I will absorb it through social media or through friends or through Zoom conversations. And I will have those nights where I'll be on the Zoom with my friends who are kind of voracious uh, readers of the news and stuff. And I will get, it'll all of a sudden hit me again. Like what's, what exactly is happening? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily positive or negative, but I just find for my own mental well-being, there's no upside for me to be keeping close tabs on exactly what's happening I just have some level of like acceptance that this is going to go on for as long as it goes on. And at some point it will be over. But until then, there's not much I can do beyond controlling my own personal interactions in the world. Yeah. And also, I think for many people, it's really activating and anxiety producing. And if you're doing creative work, really, if you're doing any kind of work, it makes it almost impossible to to think clearly. Yeah. And I've been very lucky that, as I said, like we we immediately jumped into our writer's room. And so my days are slightly shorter and there's no commute from the moment I get up till basically a normal end of the business day. I am working either in my writer's room or on other things that I have to do. And it's not only a blessing to just continue to be able to work, but also to have such a consistent distraction from getting looped in my own thoughts and anxieties. So this is, I guess, sort of a two-part question, but you're talking about the writer's room and, you know, typically that's something that happens in these, you know, physical close quarters, everybody sitting around a table. Is there anything that's qualitatively different about being on a Zoom call with your, you know, fellow executive producers and writers than being physically in the room together? We have a pretty hard rule in our writer's room, no phones, no screens, no computers at all. So what we do is, you know, I leave my phone in, in my office and go into the writer's room 
and we work for about an hour and a half and then have like 10, 15 minute breaks where people can check their phone and email and social media, do whatever they have to do. And then we go back in for another hour and a half session and then break for lunch and all that stuff. So it's very helpful, especially for me, who if the screen is in front of me, I have trouble focusing on two things at once. So now that we're all in our own spaces and we have to communicate through our computer screens, it means that it's very hard. I can only speak for myself to maintain the level of focus that I have when I'm in a room with people. It has to be completely transparent what I'm doing and where my focus is. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that we're in our own spaces and on screens, it means that I have my email and my iMessage and all that stuff in front of me and nobody can immediately tell that I'm looking at something else and I'm distracted. Mm -hmm. So I am personally much more distracted than I normally would be in my writer's room. And it's definitely at times has an effect on things. There's also the realities of, you know, you're in a shared space. So some people have an office in my current alignment of my space. I don't have an office space. So I'm in the kitchen which means, you know, my girlfriend's in and out doing the normal functions of human existence in a kitchen, you know, and so I'm sort of popping my head in and out. And and there are things like that. You know, my other writers, number of them have small children who are not in school and Mm -hmm. not self-sufficient. And so their spouse or partner has things that they have to do. So there are times when our spouse, you know, when our writers have their like one and a half year old in the room with them. And, And that is a honestly a joy it's like to see a mm. tiny life crawling around and being a little rascal is so adorable and a nice distraction it brings immediately like i'll look at people on zoom and i'll see people smile and i'll and, I, and then i'll realize like oh so-and-so's child is now in the room with them and it so mm-hmm. you know there are those things and, and it's fun to see people's cats and dogs and yeah, that, that's like, that's the humanizing stuff that i was talking about at the, at the beginning of our conversation just that feeling that we're like we're seeing the inner aspects of each other's lives more. Yeah. You know, people in working situations or students who are in classes together, all sorts of things. Totally. And it's so weird because we spend so much more time with the people that we go to work with every day uh, than we do in many cases than our actual loved ones. You know, like I don't spend normally 10 hours a day with my girlfriend or my family, mm-hmm. but I do that five days a week with the people who I work on my show with. Mm -hmm. But I don't, for the most part, know what their homes look like. I, you know, I've met their spouses or their partners or their, but I don't know their cat's names. I don't know what kind of light they have. I don't know what their furniture looks like. I don't know what their, you know, all the, all the elements that give people insights into other people's lives. Yeah. There's something kind of fun and voyeuristic about it, but I, I, I look forward to going back to being in physical spaces with people. Yeah. So that that leads me to the other question I was really curious to talk to you about, which is, you know, let's let's talk about live audiences. You know, I mean, I've I've already been mm. speaking on this show with a musician, you know, a singer songwriter. I'm going to be speaking with actors who work primarily in theater, and I'm thinking too of dancers and opera singers and public speakers. First of all, I mean, how is comedy different? when you take away the audience and, and what do you, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, I know none of us know, but what do you think about when you think about that? Well, I think actually the night before my, that I think that, that night of maybe the 11th, Thursday, the 11th was the last show I did at the Largo theater here in Los Angeles, which is one of my, it's like a home home court for me. 
Uh, my friend Anthony Cheselnik had a show, and it was the last night. We were all like, I guess we'll do the show, and we did it, and ever it felt very weird, but the audience was very happy to be there, and they didn't seem terribly scared. Um, and it was a very fun show and weirdly cathartic to be able to sort of talk publicly about what was happening. But then it seemed implausible. Live comedy really requires laughter. It, it helps you figure out where you're supposed to go next to hear the audience respond to something gives you a, a little bit of a roadmap of like, oh, well, I'm going to continue following this line of thought because that that's what's interesting. That's what's engaging them. You know, people are doing shows like over Zoom or whatever, you know, Instagram Live, and you can see people liking something or Zoom. I guess you can open up the mic and hear people, but it just never feels quite right to me of hearing people laugh. It doesn't feel natural. Mm -hmm. So you're losing a bit of the dialogue that is, I find, necessary between an audience and a performer. That said, you know, we're continuing to make our show and in our writer's room, we're continuing to crack jokes and having the writers laugh or not laugh at funny moments. And you get, a, I get a little taste of that. We have continued to have table reads of episodes as we continue to try to move the ball down the field. And so the table reads are very, you know, it's like, right. We read the whole episode out loud with 40 or 50 people in a zoom conference and we can hear some laughter and get a sense of what's working and what's not working. I get a little taste of that. I have not ventured into doing like a quote unquote stand-up show over zoom. I don't really have much desire to. I would love to be in a physical space and perform for people. I, I'm a little less comfortable with straight stand-up in that way. Um, that said, I've made like videos for friends or, you know, some TV appearances that, uh, you know, I've done one or two, like I did Conan's show over Zoom. I've done a few kinds of things like that. I did the Saturday Night Seder. I did a little bit on that. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that gets sort of put up online and then you get some response. I'm doing a podcast with my friend John Mulaney called Oh Hello. Mm. And it's a different version. You get a text message that says, dude, so funny or whatever. You don't you don't get <laughs> right. the immediate you don't get the immediacy of that laugh that live performers get used to and crave to an extent. So I, I miss some of that. But I, I, I have to be honest, like I'm sort of a somewhat adaptable to whatever my circumstances are. I've largely been able to convince myself it doesn't serve me to long for something that I can't have. That's healthy. It's not perfect, but it's what I, I think, strive for on some level. Mm -hmm. As that relates to live performance going forward, I, I don't know. I don't know what, I can't imagine in the near future people will be able to gather en masse for a show. I'm sure there will be shows that are like, all of a sudden, you're going to have some people getting back to doing 50-person black box theaters mm -hmm. versus or tiny clubs and not doing theaters of like, you know, when I was on tour, I was touring like 1,500 to 2,000 seat theaters. I'm not sure what will happen with that. Maybe those theaters will now become, you know, a 2,000 seater will actually become a 1,000 seater as we practice social distancing mm -hmm. or those theaters will remain closed until further notice. What's scary is that only major, huge corporations will be able to handle the financial stress of this moment and will drive a number of the smaller gathering spaces, clubs, theaters, bars out of business, leaving only a few large kind of corporate behemoths. But I also think like I've been trying to think of it as like when there's a huge forest fire 
it's awful and devastating, but there is new growth mm-hmm. that begins to sprout up out of that. Morel mushrooms pop up after forest fires and they're the most delicious thing you can eat. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of talking out of my ass with a, no, I like a, that. You know, I'm going to be honest. I've decided my game is, is hopefulness. Uh, that's the game I'm going to play with no real basis as to whether it's useful or not, but I'm just like, I'm going to play the game of that. That's my voice in this conversation. Cause I think there are plenty of people who are going to be able to talk about how everything is going to be worse and go wrong. It's just like, I don't know if there needs to be a further uh, voice to that chorus society and human beings are pretty resilient and resourceful and things are going to change for sure in the short term and very possibly indefinitely in drastic ways, but that like we are individual and collectively things that evolve and adapt and we will find new ways to, in the case of my my case of like do comedy and perform and do our art, you know, and have that conversation, it'll, it'll look probably differently, but I don't think it's going to disappear. Yeah. And you're using the word game, but I actually think that that's where we all are and nature abhors a vacuum. Yeah. You know, I always try to end this show on a note of hope, and I was going to take you there, but you went there yourself. So (laughs) thank you. This was like really a terrific conversation. And I look forward to sitting in a small, intimate audience in a black box theater and watching you do your thing. Well, I I look forward to coming to a reading of yours or getting you to sign sign your book for me. I, uh, you know, we met through online because I read your book before all this started and we were both on our tours. And I think both a little bit worn down and exhilarated Mm -hmm. by being on the road. Not everybody's like this, but I assume you're a little bit like me and that it's like a little production monster. And so this time has forced me to ground a little bit and be in one place and take a look at myself and my surroundings and who I am and figure out the things that I like about myself and the things that I don't like about myself. And so I'm grateful for that. But I do also simultaneously like really ache to get out there and meet you in person and and hear you read and and talk about your work in a real setting. So I'll end hopefully and say that one day that will happen. We'll both be in each other's spaces and and I look forward to that. So do I. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and to all of us. My pleasure. All right. Take care, Nick. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Way We Live Now. Tell us the way you're living now. We want to hear. Call us on, you might want to get a pen for this, 909-713-8995. That's 909-713-8995. And record your story, and we might just use it on the pod. Also, you can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash the way we live now pod. We are creating a community here, and we would love for you to join us. You can find me on Instagram at Danny Ryder. The Way We Live Now is a production of iHeartRadio. It's produced by Lowell Berlanti. Beth Ann Macaluso is executive producer. Special thanks to Tristan McNeil and Tyler Klang. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. 
Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart. And I'm very forgiving, but like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry. The world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 